Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Indeed it is. We are back for uh, 2023. It is uh, great to be back uh, following uh, a huge uh, month of tennis, particularly the last uh, two weeks of the Australian Open. Uh, Brett Phillips in the chair, and I don't know where the last uh, 15 years have gone. Uh, This radio station started uh, back in 2004. The first serve commenced in 2008. It's had uh, many different time slots under a couple of different uh, management uh, setups and the good news this year, because I had people always saying to me, Brett, can we get an extra hour? Because we're always crammed for time. Well, we have got an extra hour. That is the good news. So we can fit a lot more in. We can have some more uh, lengthier discussions because there is a lot happening, uh, certainly in the world of tennis. So it's uh, my delight to be back. I've had so many great conversations with people in tennis the last uh, three or four years. It's a passionate tennis community who... Love having a show that's uh, dedicated to their sport, not just for the month of January, because as we know, uh, the sport of tennis just stays here for a very brief period of the tennis year. The players jet off here, there and everywhere. Even to little Bernie on the wrecks uh, today with the propellers down for the ATP Challenger. Just to think two nights ago, Rinky Hijikata celebrated the finest moment of his life on Rod Laver Arena, winning the Grand Slam doubles. And then he's on a flight to Bernie to go and play the ATP Challenger. It is actually a great setup. I went down to Bernie a few years ago. It's nestled into suburbia, uh, not far away from the famous uh, Bernie football ground, which has produced uh, many a fine footballer across uh, the journey. But if Rinky wants to get to the top 100, which he's aiming to do, you've got to win at that next level down, the ATP Challenger. So he's the second seed. We'll update Bernie a little bit later on. What is our aim this year across a couple of hours? Well, it's to expand our coverage. We've always covered the pro game on this show, the ATP, the WTA, the ITF Tour, but more in the junior space, more in the wheelchair space. When you watch the wheelchair athletes at the Australian Open, you left gobsmacked. Dita de Groot on the women's side, just achieving unbelievable things. Niels Vink in the quad division. So we'll cover the wheelies. Paddle tennis, we're going to discuss that a little bit later on. For any of you who went to the Australian Open the last couple of weeks, as you were walking through the Garden Square entrance, you saw the paddle court set up. It is certainly huge around the world, huge through South America, massive in Europe. How much will it really grow here in Australia? We'll discuss that a little bit later on. And as you know, for those that have tuned into this show for a long time, but particularly in 2022, we discuss the state of the game here in Australia, the Australian competitive play. How does it look in developing our next youngsters. What is the depth of our next youngsters? And what are the opportunities for them to play? So Tennis Australia, the back end of last year, went and totally rejigged the competitive play calendar. So we'll talk about that because it's one month in. In January, we've had the 12 and 14 grass court nationals. They are the future potential stars. And we've had a series of other events as well. So we'll touch on that a little bit later on. But apart from this radio show on a Monday night, 
is a whole library of stuff that you can listen to when it suits you at the first serve. We have another of other dedicated podcasts as well. And you can find all that at our website, thefirstserve.com.au. You can go surfing every day of the year because a bit like horse racing, the sport of tennis just never stops. There is something going on effectively 12 months of the year. Follow us on our social media as well. The team that I had down at Melbourne Park the last two weeks did an outstanding job. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, whatever you like. We've got it covered as far as the world of tennis is concerned. But I want to take your calls off the top on the Harcourts open line tonight. For all things real estate, speak to Harcourts. Your reflections on the Australian Open over the last fortnight. Your report card for the Aussies. And what are you forecasting for the remainder of this year? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Got some special guests coming up throughout the next two hours. But a chance for you to have your say. And this is what this show is all about. It's the only dedicated tennis show that can take your tennis calls live where you can interact and have an opinion. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Aaron is out in Airport West. Aaron, great to have you on the show. BP, you're fired up. Happy birthday. Uh, the last two weeks, outstanding work. Well done. Shouldn't uh, shouldn't undersell yourself, mate. Well done. Yeah, I'll just give my pet a... No, no, I'm not giving myself a pet on the back. No, it's great. I mean, it's, look, a great team. And look, it's, it's hats off to SEN, who has the capacity to go and buy the rights to cover the Australian Open. I know uh, Craig and the team have done a three-year deal. We have a great position in the bunker. And I said it last night, but hats off to our producer, Lawrence Rosen, who did a ton of work to get the names. I mean, to sit alongside Mark Woodford and Robbie Koenig, Daniela Hentikova, uh, Roger Rashid and many others... Just to talk tennis was uh, brilliant. I'm not sure how it comes across on the radio. It's an interesting sport to call on the radio, but this is what we're about, aren't we, at SCN? Calling all sport, whether it's your sport of choice. I remember one day driving around when we first did the Super Bowl. I'm not really an NFL uh, fan. I just thought, how good is it that SCN's calling the Super Bowl? So that's what we're about. But, Aaron, you are a tennis purist. I know that. What do you, what do you think of the last two weeks? Robert Keener all about Team Robokina. Fantastic uh, match on, on Saturday night, but uh, she's going to be a star, I think. Yeah, I think she's here to stay, that's for sure. Uh, and the women's, really? the women's rankings you know, can fluctuate. We've had a lot of players sort of in and out of the top 10, the top 20. I mean, uh, Sabalenka becomes the 14th different winner since Serena won in 2017 at the Australian Open. So there's yeah, a lot of different winners, some multiple winners, but some one-off winners who may not ever win again, but I think in Rybakina's case, she can win multiple slams. And that's been the, the tough part, certainly, for uh, the women. Hey, Aaron, just give your plug, uh, uh, give your club a plug, because you are uh, involved in the grassroots, the weeds of tennis. Uh, Dudagoa Tennis Club, North Essendon. Family uh, open day on uh, the 12th. And, then, and this wasn't set up pre either, by the way. But no. Ten, ten <laughs> Off the cuff. Four, ten, to, ten to four on uh, the 12th. Royal Avenue in uh, North Essendon. Come on down. Righto. I'm going to get down and say hello to you. We're going to meet in person. Uh, Aaron, really appreciate connecting, who's been a great loyal listener to the first serve. one 736 736 in St Kilda. Ellie, welcome. Hey, Brett. How are you going? Mate, I'm very good. How have you, how have you consumed um, the last uh, two weeks? Um, by not doing that much else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, it's been great. I mean, Stan's spot's good because um, you don't have the chance to watch everything live. You can, you know, watch mini matches. And also, the problem with nine is you can't scrub, 
and I think scrubbing is important in tennis, especially if you're if you're catching out. You can skip in between points and stuff. So yeah, it's been great. Um, just a few thoughts. Yep. Um, okay, Kokonakis. Kokonakis lost the game against Murray to me, besides for his nerves, also because he couldn't put Murray away from the back of the court once the balls got a bit softer, once the conditions got a bit slower, and it really showed how important it is to be able to come into net. Because Murray, he ended up finishing a lot of the points by coming into the net. And I think with Kokonakis, it just makes such a massive difference if you're able to transition and come into net. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, something he can learn. Um, and that's something that Tsitsipas actually does very well. That's why he's such a good player, because he's not just good from the back of goal. He can really transition well. Yeah. Um, but with him, I think his biggest, his biggest um, deficiency is his backhand slice. Um, he, he holds, for me, when he hits his backhand slice, He's holding a normal backhand grip. Now mm. he's holding a top spin backhand grip, yep. and that means that the racket face is facing down as he's hitting it, and so he has to twist. He has to twist his his wrist, um, you know, down and up just to get the cut, the proper cut. And so you can't really hit the backhand slice properly. I think for a player like him who who is good at the net, who does have such a dangerous forehand. The slice is actually, in a way, the, 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 the real sort of fulcrum of, of the game. Federer, if you watch Federer, the way he sets up points yep. often was with his slice. He sliced it to the other player, and the other player, it was such a biting slice that the other player had to hit it up. Mm. And as soon as the other player hits it, you know, with an upward trajectory, yep. Federer runs around onto his forehand, and then the, the, the point's over. I mean, that, that happened, you know, on repeat for years. It and beautiful. if Tsitsipas yeah. would learn to get a better slice, mm. he, he could be nigh on unplayable. No, it's a good point. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, thanks, Ellie. I really appreciate your call. I mean, it's interesting just to dissect pass uh, last night because I thought he was disappointing in that first set. And you, if you're going to beat Djokovic, you've got to get the front running. We were crying out for someone all week to win the first set, get some scoreboard uh, pressure, and he wasn't really bringing uh, his game. I know that Novak doesn't allow you to necessarily play your game because he dictates. He hung in. Served first at the start of the second. He hung in there, made it a contest, which was great. Had that one set point in the second set. But you certainly feel like of that group of guys, and I just made a little list today, you feel like he is the one that can break through. And I think I may mention the call last night. When I went to the first ever Next Gen ATP finals for the best 21 and unders, that was in Milan 217. He was the alternate ninth player uh, practicing on the court uh, at the back. And he was about 90-odd in the world at that stage, and you couldn't quite predict the trajectory he was going to go on. But when I look at the rankings today, and Medvedev now outside the top 10 at 12, Zverev at 14, uh, Sinner at 17, uh, Berrettini dropping out to 22, and Denis Shapovalov dropping out to 27. So you just wonder whether that group is going to be able to really get back and seriously challenge again because you know the rise of Elkaraz, the rise of Holger Runa, who's you know in behind... Uh, certainly Alcaraz, uh, someone like Ben Shelton, uh, who blew my mind, blew my mind the last two weeks, what he produced. So the shifting and the pecking order is really, really interesting. But yeah, Sitsi Pass will learn a hell of a lot out of that last night, but he's got the tools, no doubt, that could uh, certainly win a slam. Uh, thank you, mate. Appreciate your call. Michael's in Reservoir. Michael, welcome to the first serve. Evening, um, Brett. I went to um, four days for the tennis. Just um, three quick things. Um, best value for money is how you can reserve a seat in John Kane Arena for the day and night session. I reckon that's great value. Mm-hmm. 
And um, another two things. Um, John Millman played really well. I was out there on show court three. But what do you make of... Um, I was at the John Millman Metadev game, you know, on Margaret Court. Yep, we called it. Um, what's... Mm. what's a, Yeah, what's... um, And that was an awesome first set by John and Metadev. Um, what's the ruling on, you know, how the ball fell out of the Metadev's um, pocket during a point? Yep. What's the ruling there? Well, normally um, you'd be that against Metadev, yeah. or well, normally you'd replay the point. As far as I uh, understand, you'd normally uh, replay the point. Mm. Yeah, should they make a thing where they can't have a ball in their pocket, or you reckon that's a bit too far? It doesn't happen that often. I can't think of uh, that happening too many times. I, you know, prior to that incident, I'm just trying to even think the last time I saw a ball come out of the pocket. Yeah, it's funny. All those years ago, Michael, I don't know if you remember Arancha Sanchez Vicario, the Spaniard, who invented the little uh, clip on the back of her uh, skirt and she just would slot the ball into that little ball clip. And I thought that would really take off because you always used to watch the girls um, be a bit awkward where they were trying to, you know, um, put the uh, the various tennis balls across uh, across the journey. And she put this little clip, clipped in nicely, never came out. But uh, no one ever uh, followed up, which I'm uh, totally surprised about. Great to see you enjoyed the Australian Open. I couldn't believe looking out last night and seeing Garden Square as full as it was. That that was phenomenal. I mean, 15,000 inside RLA and another 30,000 people in the precinct. It was like we're at the World Cup in uh, Qatar. But hats hats off to the people who run this tournament. I mean, I'm in the cocoon of just covering uh, tennis. But when you do walk out in the grounds, going to and from uh, different stadiums, you just realise how many people are not there to take in the tennis. And it has become uh, an event. And that's what the Australian Open can do with uh, the size of the site, uh, certainly compared to uh, Roland Garros and Wimbledon. The US Open's a, a bigger site. Uh, but uh, hats off to what TA have done. Now, Alex is in uh, South Yarra. Alex, I should say that we actually did meet at the Australian Open. You're a great man. <laughs> we did, yeah. Um, what a great tournament. Uh, amazing. So privileged that that comes down to Melbourne every year. It's yes. just something that we should hold on to and yep. develop and hopefully act as an inspiration and a tinderbox for the younger players in, in Australia to, to make it to that highest level. But I kind of wanted to talk about like the Rod Laver Arena. I mean, the ticketing, and I know they have to do this with the pricing of the lower lower levels at RLA, but it just is held by corporates who often don't rock up until later in the match. It just looks terrible on TV. Um, and I, I just think it needs to be bigger as well and it needs to be able to accommodate corporates going forward. I mean, the Wimbledon Centre Court's been around for 100 years. I highly doubt that the RLA will be around for another 100 years. Mm. I think it's time for TA to think really big and to lean on elbows. Clearly a tennis fan. Um, and maybe Bill Gates to say, okay, let's rebuild this fantastic arena in the true spirit of Rod Laver and put some more corporate boxes, get some more fans closer to the action and build, say, maybe five to 7,000 more seats in that stadium, which would net somewhere between 17 and 25 million more per tournament. It's a, it's a really interesting point, uh, Alex. And I think Craig Tiley was certainly hinting, I think pre-tournament about... Uh, further development needed, despite the fact that $300-odd million has been spent on the redevelopment of the whole precinct. Uh, he has certainly, I think, floated that, yeah, Rod Laver Arena. And you, you sort of look at Rod Laver Arena, it does need a little bit of a refurb. And, uh, you know, obviously the, the tennis move there, what, in 1988 from uh, Kuyong, 
So it's um, it, it's needed. I mean, all the stadiums in sport need to be uh, upgraded and and kept well. We've seen, you know, the new stadium at Roland Garros, which uh, looks brilliant. The US Open put the roof on and just reconformed things. Uh, certainly, you know, we can expand. We would fill, you know, if we had a 20,000 seat uh, Rod Laver Arena, there's no doubt we would uh, fill it. I think it's uh, I think it's a great call. Let's see where that goes. Alex, uh, really appreciate your call. Thank you. We'll, uh, we'll chat soon. Just before we break, uh, let's go to Tom, who's uh, over in SA. Tom, welcome. Yeah, here you going, Brenton. Uh, Brent, Brent, Brent it is, but you can call me Brenton if you like. That's okay. Oh, uh, uh, first of all, yeah. Uh, I'm kind of sorry. I think we came on before we talked about all the other sports, and yep. I was just telling you, the call I was going to be so I'm a car supporter too. So, but. I can talk later about that yeah. after the hour shit. Beautiful. But anyhow, um, I'm not a tennis guru, um, yep. Brent, but yep. I've watched it, you know, over the years. Now, I feel, I, I like, I know this comparison, you know, off the field, the Darren Federer, but I reckon Djokovic is okay too. It's a perception that people, but I kind of like him. And to be honest and truthful, that thing last year, my personal opinion, Brent, that was a fast. Really, the, he was a lot. He was a criminal, Bren. To be honest, that's that was crazy. That was, I'll be honest, really. Nah, that wasn't a good thing. Well, no, it wasn't. Because, look, like he was a criminal, um, Well, yeah, the, you know, yeah, yeah, that's a new name. Hey, I'm going to uh, tell my mum to start calling me. No, uh, Brendan, anyway, I'm being smart. But Tom, hey, where are you in South Australia? Tom, are you in Adelaide? Yeah. Sorry, are you in Adelaide? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. I'm just saying, Love Adelaide. my personal point of view, what happened last year yes. when they'd done that documentary, yeah, I, hear I don't you. know what your views are, but what, what is it? Well, you know? yeah, let me, I'll jump in if you like. Um, yeah, I mean, look, certainly it's, it's uh, look, what happened last year was just unfortunate, really. It was a mess, all right? But we've moved on uh, from that. Novak uh, comes back. So at least the sensible decision was made to uh, scrap the three-year ban we're past, you know, the the worst of COVID. Let's get on with our life. Uh, let's just let people, you know, move freely, have choice. Uh, there are some people in the world who have chosen not to be vaccinated, and that is, in my view, that is their absolute choice. But anyway, that, we don't want to get uh, bogged down with that. Uh, but Djokovic, in this whole discussion, now I get asked this every time about the greatest of all time, trying to compare. I actually just want to enjoy uh, watching Nadal and Djokovic to the end of their career. I bawled my eyes out when Roger retired last year. I'm prepared to put my hand up. He was my absolute favourite. Whether he and he's not going to end up with the the best record of all time. So clearly Novak will statistically, if you're just judging it on stats, he will break every single record. He's going to play longer. He's a man on a mission. He wants to be the greatest of all time statistically. So it's not an argument. But then people can still argue that in uh, in different ways. But we're comparing eras. We're comparing technology. As far as a personality goes, I'll bring up this later. I thought there was a great article in the Herald Sun over the weekend. It was written by Sasa Osmo, who's a Serbian journalist, trying to take us inside Novak Djokovic because he is a bit of a complex character. And we have, over the journey, probably unfairly character assassinated uh, Novak. And he came in as the villain to upset the great rivalry between Nadal and Federer. So he was the outlier, comes in... And he's overtaken uh, both. 
it's an interesting argument, but I think it's just one we um, we probably park for now and we just enjoy the fact we've had three unbelievable sports people all playing one sport at the same time that'll never be uh, emulated. Uh, Tom, thank you very much. Uh, Harcourt's open line. For all things real estate, speak to Harcourt's one uh, 736 736. Happy to take your calls. The lines are open for you across two hours of the first serve. We'll come back and recap the last fortnight. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Championship point number three to win a tenth Australian Open. Cross court backhand, Sitsi Pass. Forehand up the line. It gets uh, him stretching here. Sitsi Pass over the baseline. Novak Djokovic. He cannot be beaten. He's done it tough tonight. A worthy opponent who stretched him in two tie breaks. But Novak Djokovic has become even greater than he was. The most dominant force on Rod Laver Arena in the history of the Australian Open making its move here in 1988. 6-3, 7-6, 7-6 in two hours and 56 minutes. Novak Djokovic back to the world number one ranking. Equal with Rafael Nadal with 22 Grand Slam titles. Uh, Luke and Croydon, welcome to you. You want to talk some Novak Djokovic uh, tonight? I uh, just to go back a minute. Uh, I think you cannot rank him in the top in the best of all time because his one is too controversial. Uh, and to some of the antics he gets, he got up to early on in his career, didn't exactly endure into the crowds. Mm. I don't know if you can. Um, thank you, Luke. I don't know if you can uh, take him out of the conversation because he's too controversial. I mean, you know, sports people have got so many different layers. They can be interpreted in so many different ways. And whilst hand on heart, a lot of people you speak to mightn't have the same connection, the same feeling towards Novak as they do towards Roger or Rafa. And that's always been the comparison. You know, we're, we're the outsiders peering in, aren't we? We're trying to understand the athlete. So we can see their sporting exploits there. We can see it in front of us, what they can do. And he's an incredible athlete. When you watch him on a hard court from where I sit in the bunker, it is it is brilliant to watch. The person, yeah, I think, you know, Chris Clary, was with us, New York Times, uh, the best tennis writer in the world. You know, he, he phrased it beautifully, I think, last night. He said, uh, you know, Novak is a complex character. So what does complex mean? I mean, complex can mean many different things. I mean, maybe all of us fit, fit into the complex uh, character. Depends how well you know someone and then to make a real judgment on uh, someone. So sometimes, yes, he has courted some controversy of his own doing. And then there's other times when he's probably been unfairly uh, maligned and people don't really understand who the person is. And the only people who understand are the people on the real inner sanctum who would know him, his family, the people who travel with him, the people who live and breathe the roller coaster of being a uh, professional athlete. So Djokovic goes back to number one. Nadal drops from two to six. Medvedev, the big drop from eight to 12. Hachinov up seven spots to 13, uh, courtesy of his uh, semi final. 
Tommy Paul, the big rise, of course, uh, making the semifinals, uh, 16 spots up to 19. Matteo Berrettini, the big drop, uh, minus eight spots out to 22 now for Berrettini. He's got some work to do if he's going to get back. Uh, Seb Corder, we like where he's going, uh, up five spots to 26. Uh, Yishi, not Yiri, as I got told uh, throughout the tournament. Uh, Yishi Lehechka, what a run to the quarters, up 32 spots to 39. Ben Shelton, did, surely you took a look at this young guy. What a star. The uh, win against uh, Alexi Poprin, up 45 spots to 44. Uh, Jeffrey John Wolf, we know him as JJ, up 19 spots to 48. And I've got a feel for Andre Rublev, seven quarterfinals now. And uh, he ran into Novak Djokovic, which is your worst nightmare, really. Uh, Nick in Hoppers Crossing also wants to talk uh, a bit of Novak. Welcome, Nick. Uh, how you going? Thanks for taking more corporate. How you going? Good. Pleasure. No, going well. Thank you. Yeah, I was just sitting back listening to your show. Well, I listen to it often, actually. And um, tonight, I wasn't going to call, but this sort of pushed me a couple. You had a couple of calls um, ringing about saying, oh, reputation, oh, he's not, he's not a good person. Or, let's, let's, let's listen from your, your book. Enjoy the three people that, that's never going to happen again in the history of, of any sport, or t- say, for example, tennis. You're never going to have three people that have had, the, I don't know, 70 80% of their grand slams ever in the last decade, ever. People should be truly happy about that. And a guy played very well. And obviously, I'm, I'm half Serbian, half Greek, so I, I actually won the whole thing. So either way, <laughs> I won, yep. sort of thing, but to put a punt in there. But anyway, but look, the guy's an athlete. He's, he's, a, he's a freak. He's a freak. That's why I could, I could put in the word he's a freak because hmm. as, as an athlete, the mental side of it, him and Nadal play the same sort of game. Mentality, the, the way they, those two play, is just unbelievable. You'll never get that ever again. And with the women, women's um, final on, on Saturday, that was refreshing to see two young girls playing and now having a new new champion. And they both serve hard. They hit the ball hard. They're both aggressive. Yep. I, think, I think the future for tennis is pretty good. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Nick. No, I appreciate your call. We're going to go inside the arena at Sabalenka Camp uh, very soon after the break with uh, uh, her data analyst, uh, Shane Leonage, who works with the coaching team. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, and then I think the question came to me on the text here, uh, Brett, has there ever been uh, three players in tennis that have won this many slams? Well, no, clearly. Uh, go Lions. Thank you. Uh, Andrew, no, not at all. Uh, I mean, this is what has set them apart. I mean, you can't see this ever happening again. Possibly a Carlos Alcaraz, who's going to be with us for the next uh, maybe 15 to 20 years. He could maybe get up to 20-odd majors and really challenge. But then again... You know, I think it's probably going to be more shared. I think there's some other really good guys coming in behind Elgaraz. I mean, Rune is so hungry. You would expect Yannick Sinner, once he just gets a couple of things sorted out, to really challenge as well. So it's going to be uh, going to be fascinating. one 736 736 Mark is in, is it Quackers Hill? Quackers Hill, Mark. It's in Sydney, I think, isn't it? It is in Sydney, although I feel like I'm in New Zealand tonight, BP, because we're getting a ton of rain here. Well, you can take that all you like. Did I say that right? Is it Quackers? Quackers Hill? Quakers Hill. Quakers Hill. Thank you. I've never heard of it. Now I do. Uh, Rinky Hitchy Carter, Jason Kubler, I think is what you want to talk about. Who We haven't touched on at this stage. No, that's right. And I think, uh, you know, these guys are Australian and I don't think they should get lost in the uh, Novak controversy, as it were. Because to me, that was among the best story coming right throughout the Australian Open. I mean, mainly because these guys are Australian, and I don't, I don't think the Australian media has uh, 
talks about them enough because, I mean, these guys won the double at the the doubles tournament at the Australian <laughs> Open. No, it's a fair effort, isn't it? We're going to discuss wild cards a little bit later on. It's a it's an interesting point, is all I'll say. And these two guys are good young guys. Uh, Rinky Hichikata, he's trying to get to the top 100 in singles this year. Jason Kubler, trying to stay inside the top 100 and project towards the top 50. And I think both are really capable. They may not even play any more doubles together throughout the course of the year. Their schedules may not align. I mean, Rinky's gone to Bernie, as I mentioned. Uh, Jason can put the feet up for a few days and... Uh, maybe answer his phone, so uh, he gets a few good endorsement deals uh, coming through. I think there's a few queuing up to uh, look after Jason, but it is a great story. But they do get the beneficiary also of the wild card, which is given to Australian players who are singles players who came together as a doubles pairing. We'll discuss that a little bit later on. But, Mark, always great to have you on the show. Let's get a break away. We're going to go across uh, Team Sabalenka next here on The First Serve. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is The First Serve, your home of tennis. Having to work extremely hard to get to the finish line. She serves now down the tee. Forehand response is deep on the line, Rubarkina. Forehand, cross-court by Sabalenka. Up the line, Rubarkina. It's out! Marina Sabalenka! She dreamed as a young girl of being a Grand Slam champion. And she's got there. A victory so well deserved. She's been through the lows of last year where she couldn't land a second serve to save herself. And the recovery has been there for everyone to see. It's been an incredible January. Arena Sabalenka, who burst onto the scene as a 17, 18-year-old with this big power game that took us by storm and now she's won one of the four biggest trophies that tennis has to offer indeed uh, we'll get to of course uh, team Sabalenka with uh, Shane Leonage in just a moment but uh, really enjoyed that women's final it was uh, high quality on uh, Saturday night uh, David in Richmond you want to talk some women's tennis uh, welcome David yeah I was really enjoying it actually but it's just a shame that the the Grand Slams or the WTA don't want to explore the opportunity of maybe just best of five sets for women in, in the later rounds. I've just looked at all the results um, of how many three-setters there were. None of the quarterfinals, none of the semifinals, yep. two in the fourth round, five in the third round, ten in the second round, and just 16 of the 64 first-round matches went to three sets. Not many. No, it's an interesting point. I know Jared Healy was... Um... Uh, certainly making a strong statement on that across uh, the last fortnight on uh, Sports Day about the women playing best of five. Maybe from that semi-final stage onwards, it's always a tough one. I mean, uh, let's just cut out the entire argument of women playing best of five for a, a whole Grand Slam via scheduling uh, nightmare. But uh, the more I hear about it, the more I'm maybe leaning to even the final maybe being a, a best of five. But yeah, I think we got, you know, sometimes we can get a great three-setter in women's tennis that is uh, the the equivalent of you know, a men's match uh, that, you know, is longer in duration, uh, better quality than some of those early rounds. So, yeah, I, look, it's, it's you know, you'd have to go back through a lot of history to uh, work out, do we really, you know, really, really need uh, best of five for women's tennis? Good on you, David. I do appreciate your call. We want to go inside Team Sabalenka uh, because there's many people that make a tennis player. Shane Leonard, he's based in Melbourne, his own company, uh, Data Driven Sports Analytics, and Arena uh, hires uh, Shane to provide data and video analysis support to her team, working very closely with her coach, Anton. Uh, but Shane's also got a role with Tennis Australia, which is 
uh, really trying to help our developing young players. Uh, Shane, uh, welcome. Uh, congratulations, mate, to be part of something uh, pretty special. Thanks for having me on, BP. Uh, yes, uh, still um, yeah, still on a high, I think, from Saturday night. But, um, yeah, really, really happy for her. She thoroughly uh, deserves it. You've worked with a few players. You've done work with On Shabur as well. Uh, you've worked with you know, Felix Auger, same other players across uh, the journey. You've developed a, a really good reputation, uh, as a lot of players now are looking at, you know, data and analysis to uh, to add to their tools in in dissecting uh, performance. Arena Sabalenka, I mean, go back twelve months ago, she was in a really tough space, uh, Shane. Obviously, with her serve and lost a bit of confidence, ranking dipped a bit after those couple of semi-finals the year before. It's been a, a terrific resurrection. I'd love you to take me as much as you can just inside the last 12 months as she had to go away and iron a few things out. Yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. I think um, uh, the fourth round uh, last year, I uh, lost to Kanepi. Uh, it was a tough loss. Um, it was a close match. Um, and and I guess, yeah, the serve issues, that, that probably started... Um, the previous year, actually, the U.S. Open semi-final stage, and 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 then the WTA finals in Guadalajara, and just continued on with the Australian Open there, and and yeah, look, it, it, it was a challenging period, and I think um, you know she found herself, and I, uh, I encourage listeners to go back and just listen to her press conference because she she speaks a, a lot about how um, she had had to sort of search herself a little bit to to get the confidence and the belief on the serve and, and of course in, in 12 months um, she she's brought on a biomechanist as well uh, just before the US Open and that's helped a lot just get an understanding of um, of her serve a little bit more and, and, and then the confidence as well to hit certain serves um, in pressure moments um, but, but I want to say look she, she had all those issues and she still finished top five and and mm. um, and, and, and none of the other girls from the previous year were in the top five I know Ashbardi retired but so she, she was doing a lot of things uh, right, even though she had the serve issues. So I, I think the, the year itself actually helped her um, get the, the belief in her game for this year. Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, I was saying during the call on Saturday, Shane, I mean, when I was going back through, you know, the, the very quick uh, ranking spike that she took as a young girl, 17 into 18, she didn't really play the junior Grand Slams and she was playing ITF, a senior pro tour events ahead of playing junior events. So she developed a very quickly... Uh, we remember her bursting onto the scene with this big power game, and you thought, "Gee, she's got all the tools here to, you know, go on and win a major whenever that window uh, may open." It's been fascinating just to watch her evolution as a tennis player, but also as a person in trying to just manage her emotions as well out on the tennis court. Yeah, absolutely, and um, and, and you're right. She burst onto the scene. Um, she she's blessed with, I guess, uh, a lot of power, um, and and even at a young age, she she was striking the ball. Uh, well enough to to trouble season sort of uh, WTA players. Um, so she had that that element to her game, but uh, there were other elements which needed developing. And, and I want to uh, certainly highlight some of the work that Jason Stacey has done on the physical side of the game for her, her movement, her preparation, um, uh, you know, the the mental side of the game. He's done a tremendous amount of work there. And then Anton Dubrov, who who's come on as a coach um, mm. since 2020. Um, and and he's he's brought on uh, a lot lot of different ways uh, to a game, uh, challenged her to think uh, in different ways. Brought me on as the data person, so 
uh, arena was someone that n- never really looked at video, never really looked at, da- at data at all. And um, yeah, that's something that's changed. Now she looks at opponent videos before matches. She'll dive into some of the data reports at times. So yeah, she's developed a lot uh, and her understanding of the game's developed a lot and that, that helps her decision-making um, in matches. No doubt. Uh, what, what do you think she's capable of? Oh, I think there's there's more here clearly to offer. And now that she seems to have got the serve uh, sorted, I mean, going into a grand battle with Arena Shane, it's like a tidal wave. I'm looking at that matchup with Magdalenette who's trying to absorb and absorb, and it's uh, it's just in your face. Yeah, you, you look, you, n- you never know with ten- tennis um, um, because, you know, things go in waves. So we, we certainly want to capitalise um, on her feeling this way and confident. Um, we think there's there's lots of little things that she can still add to her game and improve. Um, and that's the, that's the exciting part for, for someone like me. Um, um, and even having a chat with the coach afterwards, we, we've got some ideas on where we can sort of take, take her in the next 12, 18 months and, um, and, and, and and I think we need to do that because the game's evolving. You, you, you'll see players um, develop different um, aspects of the game to, to be able to counter some of the things that, that Arena might have. So, um, uh, you know, that that's something we've got to, to be ready for as well. So, yeah, it's exciting. Uh, and I, but I, I certainly think she, she can be a threat on all, all four surfaces. Yeah, no doubt about that. Shane Leonard with us, who's been very much involved in Team Sabalenka, the growth of Arena to... Now be a Grand Slam champion. Uh, Shane, you also are doing some work with Tennis Australia, the Game Insights Group, uh, developing data analytics uh, products for, for TA. And now some of our junior athletes who are aspiring to really make it in the game. Take us inside this space at the moment and what we're trying to do with our young players here in Australia. Yeah, look, um, so uh, want to point out um, Simon Ray, he, uh, I think it was, after last year's Australian Open, uh, reached out to me. Uh, we had a, a bit of a chat and um, and uh, just said, look, we've got a lot of data here um, uh, at Tennis Australia. Um, we we want to start sort of using it and, and trying to replicate what, what I guess I was doing a little bit on the, the, the data-driven sports analytics side, yep. um, but with some of their junior athletes um, and, and pro athletes. So, yeah, I decided that um, we'd help out. Um, uh, well, I'd help out a couple of days a week with Tennis Australia, and we um, we set up some um, data collection for some of the junior events, so the national um, uh, tennis uh, tournaments that we have. Uh, and we basically got cameras out to those events, um, ran it through a um, a ball tracking tool called Swing Vision. Yep. And and we're we're just basically getting the the data from that tool, and we've developed a, a few dashboards for our coaches to to be able to use. And um, and initially, it's going to be more focused on looking at the individual athlete themselves and going, okay, these are your serve patterns, these are the things that work well, or these are the areas of the game that you um, you need to work on to reach sort of that tour level. And um, and and yeah, over time, I think it'll evolve. We'll, we'll develop little other tools that can help those coaches. But we really want to make sure that the, the junior players uh, have a, have an understanding of what they need to do when they uh, you know, are playing on those ITF levels, ATP levels. Absolutely. And yeah. WTF. No doubt. Just before I let you go, we saw the in-game coaching, which I love, and we saw the setup of you know iPads in the player box and coaches been able to go to, uh, to data and, and use that thread a game and maybe be able to influence a, a player mid-match. I, I'm all for it. How, how did you sort of view the, the in-game coaching? 
Yeah, that was something we um, uh, sort of put together in, in, in actually probably after the US Open where there was a, um, the decision on on-call coaching and that the trial had been sort of extended to, to, to the Australian Open. So, yeah, we, we decided uh, it'd be great to get a tool out to the coaches um, and analysts in, in those player boxes. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we sort of developed that and then trialled it at the United Cup. Um, and then at the Australian Open, uh, yeah, I sort of was on the other side uh, getting to use it um, with, with my players. And, and yeah, absolutely, it, it made a big difference. I think there was a couple of matches where yeah, at critical moments uh, we were able to communicate to the player to either sit on a serve or maybe adjust your return position. And, yep. and some cr- critical sort of um, uh, opportunities arose as a result. Great stuff. No, I, I loved it. And uh, I'm really fascinated to see where that, that goes with the in-game coaching, the access, uh, even for players, maybe... Uh, certainly courtside to have some access to data live in front of them. It would suit some, maybe not suit others, but uh, clearly there's a lot of players who'd love to be influenced and uh, have that uh, information accessible to them. Shane, thank you. Really appreciate it. Let's uh, let's connect uh, in 2023. Absolutely. Thanks, BP. Thanks, everyone. Shane Leonard, big part of Team Sabalenka. A break. Uh, back with more. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Indeed it is. Great to be back and uh, great to be on SENZ across uh, the North and South Island of New Zealand for the first time. So uh, we'd love your contribution. Uh, The state of tennis in New Zealand, we'll try and touch on that uh, throughout the course of the year. But great to be going uh, right across uh, the network. We're here for two hours every uh, Monday night, which is uh, brilliant. 1300 736 736. Always happy to take your calls. On the Harcourt's open line for all things real estate, you can speak to Harcourt. So just to wrap up, the women, Arena Sabalenka jumps from 5 to 2 in the rankings. Elena Rybakina from 25 to 10, having made the final. Elena Rostopenko from 17 to 12, making the quarters. Victoria Azarenka with that run to the semis, 24 up to 16. Karolina Pliskova improves from 31 to 20, but another missed opportunity for Pliskova, who I think is destined now uh, not to win a Grand Slam. Magdalenette, who would have predicted that? before the start of the tournament. 45 to 22 in the rankings, courtesy of a surprise semi-final run. Donna Vekic, good to see her back too. 64 to 33. Danielle Collins couldn't defend her points, so she drops from 11 to 40. The big-hitting Kaya Kanepi from 29 to 47. Mark this girl down, two asterisks, 17 years of age. Linda Fravitova, 82 to 51. She's already 51 in the world at the age of 17. Young sister Brenda at 15 qualified for the main draw, which was quite extraordinary. Uh, Zulin of China from 87 to 54. And now what lies ahead for the world number one, Iga Sviontek? So clearly she deserved the favouritism going in, beaten by a, a bigger, stronger Rabakina who'd beaten her in an exhibition in the Middle East in December as well. Jessica Bagula, fifth quarterfinal loss. A bit like poor old Andre Rublev on the men's side. She just can't crack that semi-final stage. And she played some flawless tennis in this tournament. And I'm really curious about On Jabur. Two finals last year. Had a bit of a stinker uh, this Aussie summer. And we know she brings a great game to the table. You just think about the big hitters from the final on the weekend. Sabalenka, Rabakina, and then the different style of um, Ons. You know, Iga's got a bit of a balance of both, of the power and the finesse and the touch. So the women's game is at an interesting stage post the Australian Open. Still 4,000 points clear in the rankings is uh, Iga Sviontek. Uh, plenty coming up in our second hour. Lawrence Robinson, Tennis Australia Game Development and Pathways. 
uh, the new competitive play calendar. We spoke about it a lot. So it's been rolled out for a month. What are the things that are going on in that space? We're about to find out. Roddy Reynolds has written a great wildcard piece 12 months on from the article that got the most traction on our website. An interesting topic. Uh, Lockie Peel, he's our man over in the US. There are a lot of Aussies playing college tennis. We're going to check in. And Paddle, we're going to talk as well, which was on display at the Australian Open. And happy to take your calls, one 736 736 We've got another hour up our sleeve, folks. Let's talk some tennis. Jump on. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back uh, to the first serve uh, here on SEN, uh, right across uh, the network. Uh, Brett Phillips in the chair. It's uh, great to have your company. We are extended in 2023. That is the good news. Another hour to uh, talk uh, the world of tennis. Uh, very shortly, Lawrence Robinson from Tennis Australia. Uh, Roddy Reynolds, one of our feature writers at the first serve. Uh, re wild cards. We'll talk some uh, college with uh, Lockie Peel, our man on the ground, and we'll talk some paddle as well. And happy to take your calls one three hundred seven three six seven three six, and also on the uh, text oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Brett, the crowd was so disrespectful between points. They'd be better if they were going to watch uh, tennis. They need to be better in going to watch tennis. Your thoughts? Well, I let it out on the broadcast the last a few nights. It is an absolute disgrace, and I think the uh, crowd behaviour has got worse as far as I'm concerned. But I think for every sporting event you go to, there is certain etiquette attached to that sport. And for tennis, when a guy or a female player steps up to serve, that is not the time to be uh, yelling at and interacting. I just couldn't believe the fools uh, last night who uh, who did it. I don't know what the exact um, solution is. You know, do you get heavy-handed and kick them, kick them out of the stadium or, or actually go and educate them? You know, maybe people need to be educated. Hey, this is the time, you know, make as much noise as you like. Barrack your lungs out. You pay good money to be here, but also be respectful to the athlete that they're in their workplace and don't yell out as they're in the service motion. I mean, who would actually think to go and do that at a sporting event? Uh, Mark's in uh, beautiful Sydney, although I think it's a little damp, isn't it, Mark, tonight? Hey, mate, very damp. It's absolutely pouring down. But um, I just wanted to say thank you to the AO radio crew because, uh, you know, I've been out on the road most nights. I get to hear it and, you know, I've been able to watch it, so I got to be part of it anyway. So thank you so much. Uh, pleasure. Uh, also, to, you know, touch on, I think you've mentioned uh, character assassination, but uh, I've got to tell you, I think us Australians, we're very good at that. If they were holding, uh, you know, hand, handing out medals, we'd probably get gold medal for that. Um uh, Novak's had to change his game from when he, you know, when he first arrived on the scene till now, and I just think for someone to come along so far, the guy has to be classed as one of, the, if not the legend of the game, one of the top three, you know, that we've seen. Uh, amazing. Yeah, no, spot on. Well, I think that that argument's uh, pretty uh, pretty simple that he is. Uh, certainly along with Roger and Rafa, three absolute icons of the sport. You can have your view on who you think is better, who you like watching. Is it all based on stats or is it more than just stats? But my goodness me, we're just blessed. I mean, what these uh, three have done and what two of them are still capable of doing. I mean, we talk about the emergence of the young guys. 
We're seeing some glimpses. Elkares breaks through last year and wins the US Open. But here we are. We're still in the race, aren't we? 22 apiece. We go to Roland Garros. If Rafa can get himself fit and ready to go, he deserves favouritism. And then Novak back on the grass deserves favouritism. What happens at the US Open as Djokovic can be let back into uh, the US uh, later on this year? So that's still going to be the narrative as much as we're enjoying uh, the young players in the game. Uh, good on you, Mark. Really appreciate your call. one three hundred seven three six seven three six on the Harcourts open line for all things real estate in Harcourts. I wanted to have a chat to Lawrence Robinson on the program uh, tonight, of course, Head of uh, Game Development and Pathways at Tennis Australia. We spoke to Lawrence quite a few times on the program last year about the implementation of uh, UTR, Universal Tennis Rating, into our competitive play calendar. Lots of feedback to that. There's been some tinkering. A new calendar was released with uh, additional playing opportunities, uh, a, a sort of a rejigging of the classification of tournaments and a points race to come in for our aspiring juniors. We're a, a month in, and I wanted to check in with Lawrence for our first show of the year to see how everything has been rolled out. Lawrence, I really appreciate you coming back on the show. Hey, bro, how you doing? I am going well. Uh, well, you probably like me. We're, we're running on uh, not much at the moment, uh, post a, a big summer, but here we are. Tell us how the last uh, month has gone. I mean, we certainly covered from a first serve point of view the 12s and the 14s grass court nationals, which was great. We had uh, some of the, the, uh, the young winners uh, on our social media accounts. Great to actually get some footage and watch that, but... Uh, there's been yep. that from a thousand point of view. There's been, uh, I think, a, a couple of that 500 level through Tassie, WA, a lot of other events. Just tell us how things have rolled out with all the changes that you uh, made at the back end of last year. Well, yeah, look, thanks, Brian. First of all, um, great job last week um, on the on the ale. And um, if I could just take a, a quick moment just to sort of recognise some of the the venues that have really stood out for us, um, whilst the focus has been at the very top of the game across Australia, we've obviously provided a real sort of broad summer of tennis and um, the team down in Taralgan, um, Susie and Woofer and Daryl down there, they, they stayed the 30th anniversary of the Taralgan Junior International, which mm. was was fantastic. And um, we had the team at Swanhill providing the national um, for, the, for the Masters. And then also just a you know a call out to the team at Mildura who have been obviously battling the floods down there and they've had to you know, concede their pro tour event but again just wanted to you know say that um, the team are fully behind Wendy and Aaron the team at Mildura and we're really keen to see them back in the calendar next year but look to answer your um, answer your question I think overall we've been um, encouraged by the um, the sort of the entry numbers that we've seen across uh, across the country I think there's still some pockets where we'd like to see, you know, um, larger numbers. But um, you know, one of the things that we were looking to solve during the course of last year, one of the one of the, the areas where we we're hearing a lot of feedback from the, from the stakeholder group was around, you know, regional travel. And yeah. I think it's been really encouraging to see the likes of Shepparton and Hume, um, Ballina, Bathurst, Wodonga, Albury. You know, they've all had some, you know, really strong numbers um, during January and um, some really good. Good attendance. It's of course it's a busy month, and um, we know we we ask a lot of parents at this time of year to travel and accommodate and so on and so forth. So we all know that yeah, you know, our pockets are a little bit thinner at the moment. So you know, I think overall we're we're really pleased with what we've seen in terms of um, overall numbers, the feedback we've had from uh, stakeholders as we've travelled the country. Um, 
uh, you know, in terms of what the intention has been. It's probably still a little bit early. We've still obviously to, to release our first points race update, which will come in early February. Um, yep. But I think, you know, I think overall the feedback has been positive in the junior space. And then I'm sure we can get on to talk a little bit about the Progress Series and, and into the Pro Tour as well. No doubt. Um, no, I really enjoyed watching uh, the Grass Court Nationals and I uh, would love mm-hmm. if, the, if the timing was right and I could be in two places at once, I would uh, actually love to be there uh, courtside. It's, it's great to see some of the uh, the emerging talent. And I suppose mm-hmm. as an extension of just the here and now, just that you know that, that broader topic of overall uh, participation uh, in the sport, which I know, you know TA last year was putting together a new sort of participation strategy, Lawrence, to try and get you know, as many people as possible uh, playing the game. Yeah, well, look again. I mean, firstly, I, I, I agree. I, I, you know, was had the, the chance to go to Wodonga and, and sort of caught the last couple of days down there. And again, Craig and, and the team and at the, at the club there did a fantastic job. Saw some, you know, we saw some great. I saw some great tennis. I watched a fantastic boys doubles match um, the night. I think the night before the finals, which was great, a twelves doubles match, uh, which featured the eventual champion Rafael Savelli, um, Vesna Marinkov. You know, had a great week there. As did. Natalie Gaft and, and William Genberg, they, they, they really came to the fore. So it was a great week for us there. As you say, we now sort of look towards the rest of the year and um, you know the game on strategy that we, we've been sort of working on. And you know that will sort of start to take greater shape during the course of the early part of this um, early part of the year. You know we've you know, we've sort of identified schools, um, coaching, uh, team tennis, our digital space, club optimization. So there's sort of four or five really key areas that we're going to work very closely with our member associations on and zero in on whilst we continue to, you know, offer what we see as our core business, which, you know, from my perspective is competitive tennis and improve our relationships and the education and engagement of our coaching workforce and support our clubs to be, um, you know, be as good as they can be. So it's, um, it never stops. Uh, all the focus is definitely on AO, but for the, the team at TA and we just keep going and obviously there's, there's some great tennis going on down in, in Tassie at the moment um, with our you know, ATP um, Challenger and W60. Danny Clark and the team down there are, are up and running and um, we've got some great matches lined up uh, tomorrow and for the rest of the week as well. So it never stops, Brett, as you know. So no. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, early, early, early part of the year, we're, we're really encouraged. Now I had the stream on in Bernie uh, today. It's a, it's a fabulous setup. I was lucky to go there about uh, three or four years ago. Nestled right into suburbia there. It's and great mm. to have that uh, tournament back and, and Rinky Hijikata, gee, uh, Bernie can welcome in a Grand Slam doubles champion, which is outstanding as he's caught the little Rex uh, propelling its way down to um, down to Bernie. What about just the officiating? The officiating space is a another topic, um, you know, of discussion in, in trying to obviously, um, you know, get plenty of people into that space and get them really well qualified. Just tell us where we sit with the the whole officiating area. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm glad you asked. It, it, it's always, I think, for any sport, you know, finding people to come in and be officials um, is always a challenge. And, and we are certainly, you will have known that, you know, we, we're no longer running line umpires. Um, it's a sort of a carryover from COVID, and we'll continue to review that that, that situation with the live ELC and whether we feel that that's um, adding not only to the player experience, we know that the players probably just about prefer the live ELC, but you know we've got to look at it through the view of the fan. What do our partners think as well? So we'll look at that again. But that does create a bit of a challenge from a pathway perspective. We would certainly welcome more people to put their hands up and uh, and volunteer to become officials. Certainly at the the lower end, and just 
And what we will be doing is just looking at how we present maybe the first stage of officiating um, and see how we can maybe encourage more club volunteers who are happy to help out with sometimes making the sandwiches and helping behind the uh, you know helping behind the club. Really, can they come out and just help us? You know, just keep an eye on the courts and uh, maybe toss the coin. So it's not it's not a big ask to take that first step into officiating. They're really more of a competition assistant than what we call currently call them a court monitor. So yeah, if anybody's interested in looking further into that, then um, they can go to you know, tennis.com.au and then search for officiating. But yeah, we'd love to welcome more officials into into the tennis family over the next 12 months. Absolutely. I received this. Uh, this is the early entry into the first serve uh, mailbag. Uh, Brett, happy new year. Hope you're enjoying the great tennis happening at the moment. A good initiative is winners and finalists of selected signature events getting wildcards for Australian Pro Tour events. This is a clear and transparent uh, awarding of wildcards and a great incentive for players. I thought I'd give you some examples of men's wildcards that might give you some ideas for your questioning, uh, which we've got you on, uh, Lawrence, it's not. Is there a restriction on the number of wildcards a player can receive? So the example I was given was uh, Jeremy Jin last year, uh, receiving five wildcards for ITF events and one for a challenger. This year he's got a wildcard for the Australian Open Qualies, which we saw, and one for the challenger in Bernie currently being mm. played. So is, is there a restriction? So there's there, there's sort of various rules and regulations. Of course, we've got three bodies that we kind of deal with depending on the level of event that we're offering. You're either dealing with the ATP or you're dealing with the WTA or you're dealing with the ITF. And as we well know, um, tennis doesn't like to make it easy for ourselves. So there are various rules and regulations. And I think, um, you know, having spoken with the team earlier today, you know, from a wildcard perspective, there are at times certain restrictions that are placed in regards to the number of wildcards that make you awarded to, to certain players. Um, I think, you know, longer term, Brett, this is probably one for you to pick up with. Uh, pick up with Paul. And, you know, not necessarily wanting to go into specific examples, but, you know, you take someone like Jeremy, you know, he was you know, just progressing out of the juniors. He was, you know, 42 in the world, a junior, you know, he's 18 years of age. Um, you know, he, he's sort of certainly deserving of the opportunity to now make that step up. And, um, you know, we, we took the same approach a couple of years ago with Rinky. And, you know, Rinky's now making those, you know, steps forward. Um, you know, we've seen the, the, the fruits of that, you know, during his run to the, the double success last week, and obviously we'll see how he goes this week in Bernie. And I know he's <clears throat> on to Dallas into the 250 in Dallas. So, yeah, you know, these these are critical opportunities for our talented youngsters. But I think in terms of the the mechanism and how we go about awarding um, the wildcards, it's really a question for Paul uh, Cordell, who's our director of professional tennis. But look, I think if I could pick up on the point that your um, your reader or listener made. We've certainly received some good feedback as well around the intention for us to allow you know, those signature 20K events as a, a springboard into the Pro Tour. And I think everyone's been very supportive of that as a concept. Um, we would have liked to see a few more entries, definitely in Tassie. And yeah, I know at uh, Shepparton for next week mm-hmm. or a couple of weeks' time where the numbers are just edging up at the moment. But I think we've got a bit of work to do. That's probably on us to go and educate the player group and let them understand what the opportunities are. So we'll, we'll hopefully see those increase over the course of the year. All right, great stuff. How about we pick up this conversation? Uh, well, I think we'll chat a few times uh, throughout the course of the year as we get more into the tennis year just to see how this is all rolling at the competitive uh, play calendar. Uh, great to uh, touch on that. We're going to touch on uh, a wildcard piece we did on our website with one of our writers, uh, Roddy Reynolds, uh, coming up uh, very shortly. But... Uh, hey, we're off and running. Uh, two hours. We yeah. can uh, talk a lot of tennis, and um, yeah. <laughs> let's let's pick up the conversation again.
Will do, Brent. Look forward to seeing you on our travels. Lawrence Robinson, Tennis Australia Game Development and Pathway. So I'd love to get your feedback. It can be either tonight or longer form, the first serve SEN at gmail.com into our mailbag. I received a lot of correspondence last year. If you're a parent out there, coach, a player, I had a lot of feedback from you about the whole competitive play calendar, your aspirations to try and make it in this sport and, and work through the ranks. Uh, how have you seen the changes? What have you identified in the early rollout of the changes? Uh, you can either text me tonight, 0433981116, or send me some correspondence. We can certainly get into all of that uh, throughout the year. Uh, the first serve, sen at gmail.com. Uh, just one off um, uh, the text. In January 2022, there were two challenges played with small qualifying draws, meaning that even upon losing, the players got an ATP point. Three wildcards were awarded to Victorians. Two were members of Kuyong, one of whom has a girlfriend whose father is a high-level tournament director and one is the son of a past Australian tennis player. Uh, that coming through, you can make of that what you want. 0433981116. A lot on the text note. I'll get to those. But on the way to the break, I want to have a listen to Jordan Canellis calling home uh, what, did we, what did we call him in the end? Was it Team Jinky? I don't know. We, we were struggling to find a name for Rinky Hijikata and Jason Kubler. But this was Match Point on Saturday night. Warning, Rod Laver Arena to raise the roof. Hijikata serving down the tee to Ugo Nice. Kubler drops it over. Zielinski to Kubler again. Ugo Nice is backhand to Hijikata. Kubler over the top. Zielinski smashes. Kubler once more. Nice. Hijikata's fallen over. Zielinski into the corner. It's wide! Oh, what a way to win it! A green and gold moment for the All-Aussie pair on Rod Laver Arena. A hectic, frantic, chaotic final points. But it's the All-Australian duo of Rinky Hijikata and Jason Kubler who are men's doubles champions at the Australian Open in 2023. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Indeed, back for 2023. Brett Phillips in the chair. Book us in uh, Monday night, 8 o'clock for a couple of hours, all the way through to the end of November. one 736 736 A couple on the text. It's the same as golf, quite during the backswing and the preparation lot. Their players serving in tennis absolutely concur. Golf etiquette, you don't say anything. Uh, Brett, I took my daughters to the Geelong tournament, 22nd to the 25th of Jan, been going for a number of years. Numbers in all age groups were low. Why aren't people supporting our regional tournaments? Uh, Chris and Derrick, one of our great uh, our great listeners. So give us your feedback. Uh, that first month of the whole competitive play calendar being rolled out, what have you observed out there, whether you're a player, coach, administrator, involved in the grassroots and the player development side? Uh, the first serve, SEN, at gmail.com if you want to go into longer form or you can uh, text me tonight and give us a call as well, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. They just spent millions on Rod Laver, new entrance plus new roof sound and all that. They won't be doing it for a long time. Uh, Djokovic embodies the Serbian characteristic of Inat, most closely described as defiance, amazing willpower. Uh, cheers, Ian from Q. So glad Novak took it out. The question of who's the greatest to me, they're as good as each other. They've all played and grown from one another. I doubt any of them would be what they are without their rivalry. But for me now, after what happened, Novak's the one to transfer, transcend just being a great tennis player. He's a, a great man that's on uh, the text. My next guest, about 12 months ago, and he's one of our key writers 
at thefirstserve.com.au, wrote an article inside the playing group's frustration with Tennis Australia's wild decision-making. It got the most engagement and traction of uh, all our written pieces that you can go and have a look at any time. 12 months on, the headline, what's the deal with these wild cards? Roddy Reynolds, one of our great writers at the first serve. Roddy, it's great to have you on the show. Very generous, BP. Glad to be here. Just take us through the context of your uh, current article. You spent a couple of weeks down at the Australian Open and uh, took a bit of time to to put this piece uh, together because this is a a fascinating topic, but it always sort of raises its head at this time of the year. Yeah, correct. So this obviously, as you said, was all born out of last year. Max Purcell was the first person to really raise the issue. And then we spoke to some people, took it and ran with it. What came about this year was obviously some great success with the wildcard decision-making. The outcomes were very good, but we learned that the process probably leaves a little bit to be desired and it might not leave a little bit to be desired for every individual but certainly for a number of the players that we spoke to they they felt that at times the decision making and the application process was suboptimal uh, there were concerns or frustrations that the timing of the announcement of these decisions sort of hamstrung them in effect in that they couldn't go and travel elsewhere and play for points while they're their rivals battled out at the Australian Open for good points and good prize money. And, um, yeah, so we sort of just discussed it with a number of members of the playing group and we've sort of come together and found that um, the outcomes have been quite good and in some instances and in other instances they haven't been great, but the process itself uh, could use some improvement perhaps. Now, these players are preferred not to be identified and that is their uh, absolute right. Uh, but that, that's fascinating in itself, isn't it, Roddy? Because... Uh, you know, they want to be strong, they want to have uh, dialogue, but there's also a little bit of trepidation there about possibly, you know, being penalised for, for speaking out. Correct. There's a bit of a mentality that you don't bite the hand that feeds you. Of course, TA make these decisions for their tournament that they run, in a, in a sense, with the Aussie Open, but they also make these decisions for the lead-in tournaments, the challenges, uh, ITFs, everything. And so if you're not in the good books, uh, you won't be receiving anything at all. So understandably, they don't want to put their name to it. That's, that shouldn't take away from the concerns that are raised. But nonetheless, you can sort of understand where they're coming from. It is their careers. These careers might last five years. They might last 15 years. So with that sort of uncertainty, even if they do have a good year, these individuals, and they can get themselves into positions where they don't need wild cards, you don't know how long that'll last. It might only be another year before you're back out on the fringe, and then you do need a bit of a handout. So it's understandable. Um, I probably, if I was in their position, would be hesitant as well. Mm. So the flaws. Uh, now that you, you know, you've spoken to a handful of players, you've identified some uh, some flaws and, and some sort of existing, you know, from last year. We sort of feel like we're in the same sort of spot, really. Correct. So some of the the issues that we identified, I guess, were the lack of, dialogue and structure around the process so the understanding within the playing group is that you there there is no magic form there's no magic uh, phone call or anything like that you enter a tournament as you would and that that is signaling your intention if you're outside the direct cutoff the powers that be will understand that you're entering with hope for a large number of withdrawals or a wild card and that sort of signals the intention part of the issue with that is that these individuals don't know their prospects and so they then can't make contingencies if they need to. And then what follows from that is the decision comes quite late. And so, for instance, 
uh, for the Aussie Open doubles. A few players only learnt on the Saturday, which then ruled them out of competing elsewhere on a Monday because there's not any other tournaments in Melbourne that they can go to or nearby. And so that means they're basically uh, missing a week. Other concerns were that the same players seem to get rewarded year on year. And I heard uh, the guest before that the, you know, the young kids probably deserve an opportunity, and I wouldn't disagree with that. It's probably where you have an individual that's been getting uh, you know, these sort of uh, gifts, I guess, for a number of years, and they're well into their, into their career, and they're not quite uh, showing the success you'd like to see. And so at that point, the question has to be asked, are we seeing a return on this investment? And then the third thing we identified was um, there seems to be a bit of an executive veto. So it's the understanding within the group is that the tournament director, Craig Tiley, makes the final call. Uh, whether that's right or wrong is certainly up for debate. Um, there are a lot of things in the tennis world that uh, Craig would be better equipped than anyone to understand, but whether um, he would be across the minutiae of every player and their progression uh, is a fair question, I think. It's a fascinating piece. I encourage everyone to log onto our website, thefirstserve.com.au. We've shared it on our social channels, wherever you may be following us. Have a read of that article. would love your feedback during the week, thefirstserve.sen at gmail.com. I appreciate this is a little question with that. Now, this is a text, Roddy, that came in. Uh, Brett, does a wild card of two singles players playing doubles, winning the Australian Open, in any way devalue the brand of doubles? When I say that to you, how would you answer that? I got that text myself a couple of times over the weekend, BP. I don't think it does at all no. because in history, I believe this has happened twice. It just does so happen that this has been the last two years with two Aussie pairings. That might speak a little bit more to the, uh, I guess, the ability and the, I guess, the ability of the Aussie players and their doubles capacity because we are a nation with a great doubles history and that's something that uh, they really practice and train at. And if you look at Rinky, he's a he's a college athlete, and yep. so. He would have played a lot of doubles over the years. Jason is known to be good, but he doesn't play as much doubles. Uh, we know about his injury history in the past, so that'd be a wear and tear thing for him. So I don't think so at all. Uh, it probably also speaks to the crowd and the atmosphere that these these young men have been able to create and, and bring everyone with them for the ride. But it's a fair question. So it's a fair question to ask. Yeah, and I, I feel like I, I want to extend this uh, conversation maybe over the next uh, couple of weeks. There's a few things I'd like to maybe add to that uh, conversation about uh, Australian players getting wild cards in general and the four Grand Slam countries being able to have that upper hand, if you like, in um, in giving uh, players uh, wild cards at their discretion that other countries who don't uh, have a Grand Slam. But we'll maybe pick that up in the coming weeks. Roddy, great uh, great read. I encourage everyone to go and have a read, and uh, let's uh, let's chat soon. Look forward to your great work at the first serve this year. Absolutely. It's a good problem for the Aussies to have, but uh, that doesn't mean it can't be a little bit better. Thanks Indeed. for having me, BP. Good on you, mate. Roddy Reynolds, one of our key writers all year. We've got a great team putting together some really good thought-provoking uh, pieces on our website. We'll take a break. We've got some uh, college on the way and a bit of paddle to come as well. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve. Your home of tennis. Considering last year's event, I was a bit more nervous uh, coming into Australia. Didn't know how you know I'm going to be received and by the people. But you know, I mean, overall, it was a very positive experience. Um, again, I wouldn't be able to do what I did in Adelaide and here if I if I wasn't feeling good, you know, on and off the court. Of course, there were uh, things that were happening, you know, also. 
events of the last few days, you know, with my father, they were not easy for me to, to handle, uh, especially at this at these stages of uh, last stages of uh, of the Grand Slam. But I had to keep it together. That's why I said in the first question, answering the first question, that it, it took enormous amount of mental and emotional energy to really keep it tight, you know, keep my focus. Uh, the voice of Novak Djokovic, a 10-time Australian Open uh, winner, quite phenomenal, 10-0 and 0 in finals. Off the text, does Elena Ostapenko have the game to get back to winning another Grand Slam? I, I don't think so. She hates the electronic line calling. Uh, there's a lot going on with Yelena. Uh, She's a big hitter, won the French Open as a 19-year-old. In uh, the politest way I can say it, she's going to need to get fitter uh, out on the court. It's as simple as that. And uh, she's got the power, but not always the control. The shot selection, I don't think, is quite there. Uh, but, you know, she's 12 in the world. But sometimes there's a golf. You can be 12 in the world and you can be a long way from uh, winning a major. Doubles is unrecognisable nowadays. It seems although it's a specialised uh, field now. Yeah, and we spoke about it, Chris Clary and I, on the broadcast um, over the weekend. You know, to make doubles uh, bigger, put it into better time slots. I know that's not easy with scheduling and TV and everything else. And maybe market these guys a bit better, these established uh, doubles pairs. Anyway, that's another discussion. If you're walking through the gates at Garden Square, you would have seen a paddle court set up. And we've been talking uh, paddle here on this program for the last 12 months. We went down to one paddle at the Docklands, so the first serve team and had a hit uh, last year. It's a sport that has taken off in uh, in Europe, in South America, uh, Matt Burrell is the president of the Australian Paddle Federation. He joins us on the first serve. Uh, good evening to you, Matt. Hi, Brad. How are you? Going well. Uh, I, I took in the finals across uh, the weekend, and it was live-streamed as well. Uh, what, what's been the wash-up to the inaugural Australian Paddle Open, which had, I think, the qualifying rounds down at one paddle, and then you had the semifinals and the finals uh, played at Melbourne Park? That's right. We had the uh, <coughs> qualifying rounds up to semi-finals down at, it's called Game for Paddle now. Game for Paddle came out to Australia and um, merged in with one paddle down there. So um, Andy Murray's company is as well known uh, around the world now and Game for Paddle now have a place in, in Australia. So we had the qualifying rounds there and the first rounds there. Then we had the semis and final at um, Melbourne Park, which was amazing with an incredible atmosphere there. About 150 players in total, um, female and male categories, and around 20 countries in total um, sent players here. So it was fairly international in that regard as well. So a great start and our biggest event by far, so far in the pedal history of Australia. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, it took obviously a, a bit to uh, pull together, but credit to the Australian Open as well. And the obviously you've been collaborating with uh, with Tennis Australia. And that's, I suppose, a, a bigger question, uh, Matt, as to where paddle is going to land in this country. We know it's uh, being established. There's a federation uh, there are various venues uh, right around Australia. It's certainly growing. We know, as I mentioned, how big it is. Uh, and uh, I've been sent, you know, in videos of incredible uh, settings uh, across the world where the crowds are absolutely fanatical for uh, for paddle. But for our listeners, just talk about, you know, the growth uh, here in Australia. Right. If we zoom out to the world first, there's around 20 million that debates out whether it's, it's 20 or, or 25 or 30 million, but... It's, let's call it around 20 million paddle players around the world. Yep. And as you mentioned earlier on, primarily uh, came out of South America, or Mexico actually into South America, then um, spread through like wildfire across uh, Europe after getting a foothold in Spain. Um, and then now it's spread down to Asia. So uh, they're the major countries um, 
with paddle as a backdrop there. And in Australia now, we have six clubs. We expect to have around 30 clubs over the next three years. We've probably got 20 clubs in various uh, forms right now and planning along the way. So we expect to grow the six out to 30 over the next couple of years. And we see this sort of a, a brother-sister relationship um, under Tennis Australia. So we merged the sport um, in November last year with tennis. So um, like, like in Italy, England with the LTA, um, France, and quite a few other countries, around 20 other countries, um, paddle forms a part of the broader family of tennis, like Futsal would, for example, with sure. football or BMX might be under the Cycling Federation. Absolutely. Because we saw paddle at, uh, was it at Roland Garros last year, Matt? It was, yes. It was at Roland Garros last year. It was a, it's called a Premier Paddle event, which is a major tour yep. um, on the paddle circuit. So, yeah, they played that um, at, at the Home of Tennis in France at the same place there as well, yeah. So would the aim be, I was just thinking of you know the setup there uh, where you had the court uh, as people were coming through the gate, so they had a good visual look as to the, the paddle uh, setup. Would there be the discussion, you know, obviously in that second week of the Australian Open to, to maybe uh, have it even on a bigger court, we can have more spectators courtside. What, what's sort of the, the think tank around where you can sort of take the, uh, the, the paddle open within the Australian Open? So we're going to grow it over the years. It was sort of an organic growth. We, uh, we tested paddle air last year at Grand Sam Over, which yep. was a fantastic um, viewing experience mm. uh, amongst all the action there. Uh, this year, we put a serious tournament on there, so um, proper prize money, proper players. So we had to set it up in a bit more of a, um, a controlled location, let's say. So um, we had it there um, at the AO Tennis Club set up there this year. Um, I think next year we'll do something similar. And um, it's just growing every year from strength to strength. So um, there's around 10,000 players playing paddle in Australia now. We expect that to double each year going forward as, as the clubs double as well. So um, as the sport gets bigger and bigger, um, Tennis Australia... Um, get behind it more and more and they've been fantastic. I can't, I can't say a bad word. It's been a fantastic collaboration uh, with Tennis Australia. So they've kept all their promises um, in terms of promoting the sport, yep. uh, giving some vision at the biggest event of the year by a mile at the Aussie Open. So we had around 5,000 people last year, maybe eight to 10,000 this year trying the sport for the first time yep. as they come in and check it out. Everyone's sort of heard about it a little bit now. If they've got European friends, they would have heard it out about a couple of years ago. So uh, it's getting out there piece by piece, and it's just it's just it's full on fun. That's that's the main reason people get into it. It's a it's a fun sport yep. and great banter amongst your mates. It's always doubles. No doubt, we'll get down to the first serve and have another hit uh, this year. Matt, really appreciate your time. We'll connect uh, throughout twenty twenty three. Fantastic. Have a great day, Matt Burrell, uh, president of the Australian Paddle Federation. Some college next. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leads in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. We finish this week's show with a look into college tennis. We know it's big, a lot of Aussies in college. We're covering it through our website and our socials every week. Our man on the ground in the US is lucky Peel to set the scene for our college look this year. There are so many Aussies over here in the States getting a degree and being a student athlete. At the same time, we are mainly primarily focusing on Division One athletes, that's male and female uh, athletes um, across the board. 
So, yeah, this weekend was the ITA kickoff weekend. We saw Cody Pearson, Josh Charlton. They went head-to-head. They played each other. Also, Casey Hall at the University of South Carolina. They just went through. Um, So, yeah, BP, we've had some big matches. Um, Really, really exciting. And can't wait to um, see what the season has ahead for all uh, all our Aussies out there. And just for the benefit also of our listeners who don't understand the layers of collegiate tennis or don't follow it, but obviously are starting to understand that this is, it's always been a, a pathway to get into professional tennis. And, and I feel like it's becoming an even bigger topic of discussion that it's becoming an even more appealing pathway to professional tennis. So we've got D1, D2, D3, NAIA and junior college. Can you sort of just give our listeners a little bit of a breakdown of that? Yeah, so there's five different divisions. I think the biggest myth out there is that there is a huge difference between each one. You know, that's a myth. They actually overlap. So if you took the best Division 2 player, they might be mid-Division 1 or even high-Division 1. I guess Division 1 has the most depth from 1 to 6, even 1 to Eight. So some of the players who aren't starting in the lineup are, are still really, really strong. But yeah, as I said, there's there's five different divisions. And the the best players play in Division One. So if you look at the likes of Maxine Cressy, uh, Ricky Hijakata, who just uh, of course won the Australian Open doubles title, he played at, uh, at North Carolina. So uh, you're right. I mean, the the college field is getting so big. It's it's another pathway. Uh, alternate to the ITF Challenger route. So we are keeping a close eye on Cody Pearson, who's at Tulsa, uh, Chase Ferguson, and you've had both of these guests on our Play USA podcast. He's at Oklahoma State. Casey Hall, we're going to hear from in just a moment at South Carolina. Josh Charlton at Oregon. Enzo Aguiar, who's at Alabama. Pat Harper, who's at Tennessee. Catherine Aulia, who's at Tennessee. So there's quite a few there and a couple of others that you can mention as well. And I know you've had some personal dealings with them. They're happy for us to go inside their world because they're so far removed, obviously, from Australia, but they're in this collegiate bubble where there's so much tennis being played every week. They're also having to balance juggling an education as well. You're right, BP. They're in this collegiate bubble where they might not play a, a Futures tournament or a Challengers uh, tournament. You look at the likes of uh, Adam Walton, who didn't have a ranking and then he won, I think, the first three out of five Futures tournaments. So it's it's, it's crazy how strong uh, college tennis is and the lack of attention that it actually gets from the media. So many of our Aussies, you just mentioned it a little bit earlier, they participated in the ITA kickoff on the weekend. So there are 15 host schools based, Lockie, on the top 15 rankings at the end of last spring. Can you explain that a bit further for us? Yeah, so the national rankings at the end of the spring, which I believe was, I think it was the 2nd of June when they came out, they take the top 15 schools, each school, uh, being in that top 15 is a host for the for the tournament. And when there's a host, there's four schools playing at that school, right? So, for instance, if we look at um, Cody and we look at um, Josh Charlton, Oregon and Tulsa, you know, there was, there was two schools. And then there was, I think, UCF and uh, Ohio. So you have to win two matches to advance and progress into the ITA Winter National uh, Indoor Championship. So that's the next round. So you've got to win two matches uh, to get through. Okay. So Casey Hill, who we're going to hear from, Pat Harper, their team's qualified for the tournament. So can you explain just the scoring? How does that work exactly? You've got to win four points. It's out of seven. There's three doubles and there's six singles. And and someone might say, well, there's nine matches. That's confusing. You know, how is it seven? 
So if you win the majority of your doubles, so that's two doubles matches, then you score a point to your team. So you have one point. Then if you score another three points, so three singles wins, that's four points. That means there's no way that the other team can win. So even if there's other courts playing and they're unfinished, the whole match stops. Everyone stops. So you might be, as Casey today, he lost the first at 7-6 and then I think he was up 1-0 and then the match stopped just because his team had already gotten the four points. You are going to be all across our socials all year. We've already started that process. So if you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you can get across all the college results as they come in, rankings, see some match footage. You'll hear from Lockie catching up with the players as well. And we're pleased to say, of course, Play USA, uh, the podcast that we started last year, is going to be back in February once a month. Uh, Lockie, going in-depth with many of the Aussies who are on a, a big journey. Pumped to get back into the podcast, BP. Alex Bolte from Florida State University is going to be our first guest for February's edition. So there's so much insight, so much action that we that we don't see, and, and we're going really behind the scenes, um, exclusive into their life as a, as a collegiate athlete. Lachlan Puel, who looks after our collegiate uh, coverage here at the First Serve, and here he is catching up with uh, Casey Hall from South Carolina over the weekend. Casey, two matches in two days being the ITA kickoff yep. weekend. You've won both matches to go into the ITA national team indoors. How does it feel? It's incredible. I think it was looking at our at our schedule at the start of the season. We kind of thought this weekend would be would be a huge stepping stone for us because you get you get through through this qualification, you get a chance to play at least three top fifteen teams and hopefully four if we can go all the way. But yeah, it's guaranteed three matches against top fifteen teams. So it's massive. It really sets up the season huge. Like to be able to play better players top teams it allows allows you to push for a high seeding later on in the year in the NCAA tournament. Now you played Penns and NC States. You beat them both 4-0. Can you dissect those singles and doubles matches a little bit? We only finished one match. So we finished our doubles against Penn, which we won 6-4. Our doubles been a huge, huge uh, point for us so far this season. I don't think we've lost a set yet. That's something we're really sort of counting on going forward. And then, yeah, didn't finish the doubles today and and had two tight first sets that uh, lost in in breakers in the singles and wasn't able to finish either of those those matches either. So, I mean, credit to the guys on my team for being able to get it done quickly on a couple of courts. So, yeah, because I, I think today we were expecting to be a, a, an absolute battle. So to get through 4-0 was... Yeah, it was really good. You just moved up to eight in the country after beating North Carolina. You finished top 15 last year, which means that you're one of the 15 hosts around the country. I'm I'm sure having the home advantage is pretty handy. We did incredible last year at home. We went, we went 15 and 0 at home. So undefeated during the season last year and, and. Yeah, we, we really back ourselves at home to, to beat anyone in the country. So playing home is is a big advantage. Yeah, we, we always love playing at home in front of our fans. Now, you, you had two lefties, two lefties in, in two days. I feel like it could be yep. any right-hander's nightmare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Were, were they sim- were they similar uh, in terms of play, even though they were both left-handed? The two guys I played were really quite different. The first guy was a was a pretty charismatic guy to say the least and then and then yeah the guy I played today is quite quite a cool headed quite a composed he's a good player but yeah I I think it always helps playing a couple in a row probably because it takes a little bit especially on return takes a bit to get used to and then just how the how the ball spins differently from each corner into your into your corners so yeah it it uh it's good experience whenever you get to play 
a lefty because you often don't get to play too many. And now next weekend, Clemson and Wake Forest. Take us into those two matches. Yeah, we played we played both of them both of them last year and had some good wins. I think Wake was was a very good win for us. We beat them when they were top ten last year, um, and they've had a good start to the season. I'm not sure if they've lost yet, but I know I know they've done quite well so far. And then Clemson is our rival school, so always gets quite heated between us. So, yeah, looking forward to both of those. So that is uh, Lockie Peel. He's our man covering uh, college right across our socials, uh, website, and catching up with all the Aussies who are going down the college pathway. So I know a lot of you are very, very passionate there about college tennis. We're off and running. First show in the can, firstserve.com.au, all our socials. We're covering tennis seven days a week. It's a long tennis year. We won't miss a beat, myself and the team. And we'll uh, catch you next Monday night at 8 o'clock.